0: You're listening to Mapping Online Hate in Canada, hosted by the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies. The Institute is Canada's leading think-tank working at the intersection of human rights, conflict, and emerging technologies. In this series, we will be interviewing experts and looking into the relationship between online hate and offline violence. Hello, this is Kyle Matthews from the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies. Uh, We're here today to have a discussion as part of our podcast for mapping online hate in Canada, which is supported by Heritage Canada. Today we're joined with Zach Devereaux. Zach works at Nexology, which is an AI company that looks at disinformation, online hate, mapping trends online. So Zach, great to have you with us today.
1: Thank you for having me, Kyle. It's a pleasure to be here. Happy to work on this project. It's very
0: interesting. So, Zach, maybe just to start off with, there's been a lot of discussion lately about hate online and segments of violence. And, and we always tend to think that this is something that happens in, you know, in Syria or in Myanmar. But let's talk a bit about what's going on in Canada and your experience and, and, and your work. Are you seeing a, a significant rise of online hate in the Canadian Internet e- ecosphere?
1: Based on the research that we've done at Nexology, you know, we've looked at online hate speech over a fairly long period of time over the last few years. And we did notice when Donald Trump was elected the president of the United States that after some of the commentary that he made on public social media feeds or in that was from his past interviews, that was derogatory or you know, inflammatory, it seemed to have an influence that there was more hate speech utterance on social media in Canada than before the Trump presidency. And then more recently in the last few months, as the COVID-19 pandemic started to take place, there was again an uptick that we measured on social media in Quebec and in Canada related to hate speech around COVID-19 and the closing of borders and flights uh, and international travel and uh, the lockdown measures that are taking place in multiple countries. So there is an uptick in conversations of that type around world events. Uh, And I think, you know, like you say, we think of it happening mainly in places like Syria, but there is, you know, significant. Activity in, in other places in Western democracies. Uh, and some people have argued that this is kind of one of the downsides of social media, insofar as that uh, kind of going in hand in hand with hate speech or conspiracy theories and what's sometimes referred to as the crisis of authoritative sources. What that means is that, what some people use the term uh, post truth reality or crisis, crisis of authoritative sources, but There's definitely a a lower and lower cost to distributing information uh, than ever has been the case before. And what this means is that there's more content published and people can consume the content at their own leisure, but there's basically a whole universe of content around whatever subject you're interested in, be it a subject that's more uh, benign, you know, like knitting or golf or wine, or something like that, or be it a subject that's more uh, controversial or, or, or can be malign in some sense. So for example, uh, white genocide is a concept or banning Muslims or banning refugees are concepts that have content associated to them on a scale of volume. Since social media has become ubiquitous, that that, that was not as in evidence before that, you said something at the start
0: about there's a bit of a rise after Donald Trump was elected president, and, and some of his social media posts were about about limiting immigration, particularly, you know, also some some harsh words about refugees. And I'm wondering, in the Canadian context, um, when he came to power, this rhetoric uh, had an impact on people who were already in the US and they started to come to Canada. Prickly Cross at Roxham Road in Quebec, just south of Montreal. And I'm wondering if, if you, if you observed anything online um, about the same kind of narratives about refugees or or Roxham Road in itself, has that been like a lightning rod for the far right in Canada online? did you see any connections to that?
1: Yes, yeah, definitely has been. Um, what you can see is that when the uh, self isolation and confinement orders started to take place and there was um, re- increased recognition that social distancing would be necessary in order to fight the pandemic of COVID-19. There was almost simultaneously with this around the second week of March, quite a few uh, right-wing voices arguing that oxon Road was a real problem. that should be stopped immediately. And there was, of course, conversation taking place that, that and right-wing journalists going to the scene to argue that if the airports are testing people or stopping people or uh, international travel is stopped, then it's, 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 it was seen as egregious and, you know, a quote-unquote joke that refugees could cross the border by foot. Um, at Roxham Road and there were calls to shut down Roxham Road completely that went hand in hand with border closures uh, as directed by the federal government however many of the right-wing actors that were involved in those calls to shut down Roxham Road inflated COVID-19 with xenophobia and also many of those actors have been promoted in the past Uh, by foreign actors uh, trying to increase the the tensions and the wedge issues present in Canadian politics. So, of course, there has to be a certain degree of, of like a certain grain of salt is necessary when looking at Robson Road as a political football, the way that it was kicked around uh, as the COVID-19 lockdown started. Because the actors who who were trying to get the most mileage out of stopping all refugees and asylum have been known in the past to receive promotion from pro-Russian networks and networks from the United States um, on various issues that you know the goal of promoting those right-wing voices is always uh, just better journalism or free speech it also tends to Aimed toward undermining the fabric, for example, of federalism Canada, or increasing exacerbations between people in Quebec or in the rest of Canada over issues like international politics, such as the 2018 diplomatic rift between Saudi Arabia and Canada.
0: So, what I find fascinating about this, um, Zach, is that you what you're telling us is that yes, there's online hate in Canada, and some of it's directed towards you know anti-refugee sentiment uh, or sentiment. Um, but there, there's an international component of this where there, there are actors who might be um, either ideological actors that, that, that want to support other voices in Canada on this, or that there might be other foreign actors that see this as a wedge issue and want to polarize society. So it's, it's a bit of a mix of, of hate speech, but also of foreign interference that, that's looking to kind of erode some of the, um, I would say, the space to, to have policy discussions on, on important issues. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree with that. And then and then there's of course a component of the
1: discussions being emboldened by like a general climate of fear and concern around things like the COVID nineteen pandemic, for example. So there's uh, you know, terminology that gets used by world leaders like President Trump, uh, calling the COVID 19, that Chinese virus uh, does spark a lot of debate. And even if most of the people who talk about the Chinese virus and at the same time are arguing that it's not racist, like for example, how the Spanish flu is considered not to be racist because the historical term for Spanish flu was derived from the location where the flu was believed to originate, and that this is an argument that was made the same. At the same level for the Chinese virus terminology, by many people, Uh, the debate is evoked by world leaders using particular terms, and this leads to a war of words between different world leaders and different governments on social media. And there's, you know, often try and create publics where, for the sake of accuracy, and the goal is not or objective in any way. There, you know, there are lots of efforts to link conspiracy theories to terminology that's controversial and there are other terms that go along with a less controversial term so for example with Chinese virus you have Wuhan flu and with the COVID-19 conspiracy theories you see for example uh, corona hoax and and terms like this and those then in turn can get linked in the quick case of hate speech to racist reductionism, essentialism, or, you know, derogatory uh, terminology towards specific ethnic groups and there's a concern about that, which I think is is valid. And in the case of the current, you know, terms used for COVID-19, coronavirus, you know, Chinese virus you know Wuhan flu it's kind of a it's kind of a spectrum you know we we monitor more contentious terms as well you know and very strongly racist terms in places like Quebec and elsewhere and what I sort of want to just return to emphasizing is that some cultural groups have more ease or more experience in discussing um, certain issues with certain vocabularies so for example in Quebec uh, in French, you do see, you know, the terms that are around Roxham Road and the 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 crossing there uh, overlap into a, a kind of generally more accepted discussion of foreigners and refugees and asylum seekers, uh, which which is in often the French language taking place, um, but which is is as I say often these connections that are that are extreme in some cases but not the majority so there's discussion of for example uh you know bans on refugees or bans on immigrants and asylum seekers that are that are considered less controversial than maybe they would have been you know a year ago or 10 years ago um taking place in quebec for example uh and you know we've seen that the the, the general climate of social media is one where trolls have become very prevalent, Um, aggressive messaging has become very prevalent, and there's a desensitization, uh, I I would argue, that that is taking place to some extent on and through social media. That can be really clear when you have a flashpoint. So for example, you know, an, an intentional effort to focus on Roxham Road and the dangers that foreigners represent when it comes to spreading COVID-19, and the need for strong state intervention to prevent people from entering our country, when you know policy discussions are not what not what that's really about, and trying to understand refugee movement and forced migration as something that's not going to just end from one day to the next or um, be solved by uh, an absolutist type strategy easily uh, is maybe less prevalent in those discussions because there's a kind of noise factor on social media that people are are used more and more used to hearing strong claims and controversial terms and um, debate that is not really always you know what the academics would call a civil society or a public sphere that's based on rationality. So those things mix together to to give everybody a, a platform to circulate their opinions, and the scale of the discussions can be quite high. You know, in two months you can have like seventy two thousand tweets on Roxham Road and refugees um, in English in Quebec, or you know thirty thousand in the French, and that that. Is a scale that was not conceivable, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, argumentation in the public sphere, and again, I think one of the things that's important to mention is that you you don't want to make policy you don't want you don't want to make policy necessarily through social media discussions, although you may want to inform policy by voice of citizen, uh, social listening, but it certainly you know, the not the loudest and most retweeted uh points of view that are gonna necessarily be the best to to engender a policy discussion. You know, it's it's a much more full well, it's a it's a landscape much more full of echo chambers and super spreaders and you know also uh, automated and you know marketing based message creation and spreading that is confusing to a lot of people but it it, it caters to the loudest voices in some cases so there's there's definitely that part of things you know when you think about twitter being two-thirds retweets uh, of like its entire data volume or if you think of how people often put more weight on a, uh, a person inside their echo chamber or what they call a super friend or a super spreader that they that they trust than they do necessarily on mainstream uh, media journalism or uh, if you look at the difficulty that people have it Determining which type of information is accurate or factual, and how these things play out in diplomacy uh, and public debates, then you know there's a lot of there's a lot of war of words. There's there's more than one war of words on more than one subject, and there's a reason to try and understand the world through uh, social media and, and internet, uh, information online. But it's not the easiest task that you're going to come across. Uh, becomes
0: complex issues. So is essentially uh, Zach, like I, I see kind of two issues emerging here. One is the, like as you said, the echo chambers and and people kind of only get information from from certain people, and they don't necessarily get opposing views. so so that's that's one of the the problems with social media. People are are kind of gonna get stuck in these echo chambers and don't hear other opinions. And another one I see is more of this digital literacy where people are not necessarily uh, fact-checking. They are not aware who they're following is a troll or a foreign bot. Um, and, and, and they, they, they're not fact-checking. So we do have some serious, I guess, challenges for, for trying to um, get society to, uh, you know, not to fall for clickbait uh, postings that were put there with malicious purpose to foment fear or xenophobia it, it it's, uh, sounds like we we've got some work ahead of us in trying to figure out what to do
1: yeah i mean if and if there's things like you know 5g towers being burned in laval and in the uk uh because of corona hopes uh and 5g kills uh conspiracy theories circulating on social then that's worrisome as well and you know there's a concept that's been talked about recently called context collapse which is from dana boyd who's a pretty well-known internet researcher and the context collapse is this idea that the information that we consume and share on social media can go into other spaces and other echo chambers and other other social networks and, and that can collapse the context of information and lead us to experience things that we never experienced before, you know, like people knowing something about you from the photos of you on the internet or uh, going into a job interview and, and the social search having been done on what like your social media footprint is. And also, you know, the, the context collapse means that messages that are meant for one group, you know, for example, in the case of the right-wing voices around Roxham Road, there is a lot of echo chamber in what those reporters and the citizens that propagate their messaging and consume their reporting do for sure and then if there's context collapse uh, you see that inside that echo chamber what's normal and the terminology that's normal and the, the level of discourse that's accepted amongst those groups take it out of that context and put it into another context like for example a university classroom or a newspaper or you know many different situations like this you see that there is this context collapse and that there's there's not one set of standards that's kind of being carried out across the board because the people are, the, the individuals involved and the, and the social media platforms involved allow people to create sub-communities that have their own standards. So I agree with you, like there definitely is work to be done, you know, about understanding hate speech. There's work to be done about detecting, you know, Campaigns that are not legitimate. There's work to be done about even understanding the contextualization of things like when the government reacts in relation to you know, public health crisis. That this may lead to something like Roxham Road being put under uh, greater scrutiny or or you know temporary closure. But that it's not as simple as you know the rebel media went and 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 gave the true reporting and then everybody agreed that this was the best solution and that was the best way to stop COVID-19 from coming into Canada. You know, the number of people coming across at Roxham Road uh, in terms of infectious disease control compared to airports uh, is, you know, minimal. And one of the things that social media does is it allows people to say that causation and coincidence are intermingled. Like you can claim success for your messaging when it just so happens that something coincided with it, but it's quite difficult actually to prove causation across social media and political activities. And, and that's one of the things that leads to these ongoing debate, ongoing confrontations between different worldviews and, and different perspectives on social media, which is really clearly part of what social media does. Well, Zach, I'd like to
0: thank you for this discussion. I think you you left it with with directs us right towards, you know, to policymakers. What, can be done, the, the difficulty of, of, of linking causation. Um, and, but I think we're gonna see more and more discussions about how to limit hate speech online. And it's going to raise a lot of policy questions and, and challenges for the private sector, for government and for civil society. So so I just like to thank you, Zach and for for joining us today. Thanks, Kyle. It's really a pleasure. And uh, stay safe during the COVID-19 pandemic. We all need
1: to do our part to uh, to help help get past the curve.